Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. There are a couple of stories that I want to talk about. Let's start with, like, the dumbest. Okay, so a couple new shows were announced this week. Um, One is Apple TV Plus is going to be making a Godzilla series based on the most recent movie series. I think they're calling it the Monsterverse. Um, the one that has uh, Godzilla, King Kong, and Godzilla versus Kong, like that whole oeuvre. Um, there's going to be a TV series that's set in that same world that's coming to Apple TV+. And it's going to be about a family. It's a sequel to Godzilla versus Kong. Um, and it's going to be about a family that, um, in like the wreckage of San Francisco, finds their family's connection to Monarch, which is the company that I not created, but like set free, I guess, these creatures. Um, if you watch Godzilla versus Kong, it was very dumb and confusing and stupid and not good, but also supremely entertaining, especially at the point that it came out, which was about a year ago. So the beginning of 2021, when like vaccines were barely a thing like some people had gotten one shot almost no one had gotten both unless you were like over 65 and immunocompromised or a nurse or something like that so like for the time that it came out it was super entertaining because we'd been like pretty much deprived for a year but whether or not this will be something that people want to watch a year or a year and a half from now i don't fucking know um also fox announced that it was pushing back its new series monarch no relation to the organization in Godzilla, (laughs) but a new series called Monarch that's like a country music family drama starring Susan Sarandon and Trace Atkins. And it feature, it's supposed to feature a lot of original music and it's going to be set in the world of country music. And it, it basically sounds like Empire, but with country music. And this is the first show that Fox has fully owned So, like, not through a partnership with another studio, but, like, the channel itself fully owns this series. And it was supposed to premiere this week, the week that this podcast is being released. Today, actually. If you're listening to this today, the podcast comes out on Monday. It was supposed to premiere tonight. But they've pushed it back to fall because of COVID concerns. And that doesn't necessarily mean, like, there wasn't, there weren't positive COVID tests or anything. Um, But basically, like, I think they want to give it a bigger push and do like more press and stuff. And with the most recent Omicron surge, you know, it's forced some shows to be off the air, to be in repeats, to not have guests, to not be in studio. Like I'm thinking specifically The View was not in studio for a week or two because of positive tests. Robin Roberts just announced this week that she tested positive on GMA. So she's not going to be there. Um, What else? Uh, Seth Meyers show was remote for a while because he had tested positive. So, like, with these cases on the rise, they kind of want to slow shit down so that if something does happen where someone on the cast tests positive, they want to be able to halt production and not be behind and not worry about quality and yada yada. And they just really want to protect their investment. Like, that's the bottom line. So Monarch is going to be in the fall, and it's being replaced with a four-episode limited series that I am fully on board for, and it's called The Real Dirty Dancing. (laughs) And now Dirty Dancing is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, And a lot of people have been trying 
companies, movies, they've been trying to recreate the success of Dirty Dancing since 1987 and failing because you can't do it. You can't make a sequel. You can't do a remake. You can't do a stage show. None of it is going to equal the magic that was Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grimm. Now, this show is going to be about celebrities who are in a competition and they're recreating the classic dance scenes in Dirty Dancing, which like, God damn it, sign me up. It's being hosted by Twitch, who used to be on, started on So You Think You Can Dance, and then was on um, The Ellen Show. And it is, um, it's going to be premiering on Tuesday, February 1st at nine o'clock. And the eight celebrities are Brie Bella, Corbin Blue, Tyler Cameron, Kat Cora, Howie Jarreau, Antonio Gates, Angela Johnson Reyes, and Lonnie Love. Now, I only know who about half those people are, but whatever. And they are going to go to Virginia's Mountain Lake Lodge, which was where they actually filmed Kellerman's in Dirty Dancing. And they're going to partner up with dancers, and they're going to learn these dance routines from the movie, and they're going to recreate some of the scenes. They're going to do the lift. <laughs> and I guess they're competing for who is going to do it best. And that's going to be through February on Fox, which like this kind of makes sense because it seems like a cheap kind of gimmicky ploy thing and the Olympics are happening in February, but it's also a sweeps month and COVID and like, I'm on board for this kind of bullshit, stupid ass entertainment. This is what I want right now during COVID. I'm done thinking, I'm done caring. I want people I've never heard of, but are apparently celebrities and Corbin Blue from High School Musical. I want them recreating scenes from Dirty Dancing. I'm good. That's all I need. So that's the, the that's the, the lighthearted shit that happened this week. So there were a couple of prominent deaths this week. We had Louis Anderson, who was an Emmy winner for his animated series Life with Louis, and also for the FX series Baskets. Um, and you know he was in Coming to America, and Coming to America Two was what was his final film performance. He was a stand-up comic and an author and just a very recognizable presence. Even if you've never seen Life with Louie or Baskets or seen his stand-up or read his books, you just by, you probably know his name and you probably know by looking at him who he is. He passed away of blood cancer this week at the age of 68. And then also Meatloaf, who, um, very prolific, obviously, rock singer, Bat Out of Hell, um, he also passed away this week. Um, of an undisclosed cause, but most likely COVID because he was railing against vaccines in Australia, according to TMZ, and then passed away and his family said they're not going to discuss why, which is suspicious. Meatloaf was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show as Eddie. He was on The Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump and a bunch of other reality shows and commercials. And he was always a presence in movies and TV and Paradise by the Dashboard Light was in probably every TV show that's ever existed at some point. Um, so very, both tragic losses in different ways. Um, Meatloaf, I feel like is one of those celebrities who like was liberal at one point. Like he was a vegetarian despite his name <laughs> in the eighties and nineties. And even though he was from Texas and did this very, like this music style that likely appealed mostly to you know, certain areas of geographical regions of the country. And we don't associate rock music typically with liberalism. I mean, like maybe like Green Day <laughs> and, you know, some more like modern bands, but certainly not classic rock. Like I don't think of Sweet Home Alabama and think about, you know, 
the right to vote. <laughs> but uh, he was, for all accounts, um, not at all as conservative earlier in life as I think he ended up being later in life. And I got, what is it with, I'm sorry to get so political right now, but I need you. What is it with Donald Trump and his family that they just have the ability to fucking brainwash people? I will never understand it. There are so many celebrities who I feel like seem like level-headed, reasonable people who come out the other side of Celebrity Apprentice or The Apprentice in general, kissing Trump's ass and talking about what a great guy he was and how nice he was and he's not at all the demon that we all saw him fucking be as president i just don't understand what it was about this. like did he is he a hypnotist i don't understand what is it about him and this family that makes people like them despite the evidence that they are the devil incarnate sitting in front of them i don't understand so toward the end of his life he was meatloaf was a trump apologist and i don't know if this is true because again it's tmz that was reporting it but they said they have a source who told them that meatloaf was supposed to have a business dinner early last week caught covid and then he died so most likely the man died of covid especially because his entire family was around him you know like it wasn't just a sudden death so it wasn't a heart attack in the middle of the night where he died in his sleep or some shit like they knew that it was going to happen and apparently was railing against COVID vaccine mandates in Australia. I'm sure riled up by the whole Djokovic and the Australian Open tennis story that happened last week, which I didn't talk about because I'm over it. Um, so perhaps, Reed likely, he died of COVID and because it was such a quick and swift death was most likely unvaccinated. Although he did have a lot of health problems. Maybe he was vaccinated and just had... Um, you know, and just had a comorbidity that took him out quickly. Maybe it was Delta instead of Omicron, because even though Omicron is more transmissible, Delta is more deadly. I don't fucking know. But TMZ and other outlets are reporting that he died of COVID and was likely unvaccinated and was anti-vax himself. And we know from his comments that he liked Trump and was pro-Trump and a Trump apologist and all that bullshit. So like, I, the sympathy that I had for him and like the gut punch that his death was when I immediately heard about it, because Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of my all-time favorites. I was in the Rocky Horror Show multiple years in a row. It's one of the only paid theater gigs I ever had in my life. It was a huge part of my life. And uh, Meatloaf in the movie was the best part of that movie. And his recording of Hot Patootie is iconic and the definitive recording. And so I immediately was very sad because I always liked him, but then like the more I thought about it and read about it, the more I was like, I just can't have sympathy for people in this case who, if he did not do everything in his power to protect himself, I, I don't feel bad for you at this particular moment in time. I just don't, and that sucks and I'm sorry. But both Louis Anderson and Meatloaf have passed away this week and that sucks. And then finally, the last story that I wanna get into will likely be of interest to uh, like two of you, but over on The Real House of Salt Lake City, I recapped um, then back in November, they're having a banging fucking season. It's so good. I highly recommend it. It is on Sundays at nine o'clock on Bravo. The reunion is coming up soon. They are already filming season three, which that means, you know, that the season that the shit is good because when they're filming back to back seasons, like if they're airing and filming at the same time, they know that some shit is about to go down. They need to discuss. And especially since Jen Shaw's court date is coming up in March, I'm sure they want to be filming for that. But regardless, this week 
the internet exploded. Social media went nuts because a bunch of posts from Jenny Wen, who is the newest addition this season. She is um, Vietnamese and she's the one whose husband wants to have another baby. And she says no, because she had several miscarriages and it's so devastating to her. And he's like, what about sister wives? Um, her. So she deleted her Facebook, um, I guess before she was announced as being a cast member on Salt Lake City, maybe even before they were filming, I'm not sure. With good reason, because a bunch of the screenshots of her Facebook profile were published this week. And there are like, I want to say like dozens of them. Like I only looked at maybe 20 and there it said load more. So there are probably like 40 or so, I would say, screenshots of these posts that Jenny made over the course of in particular 2020. And they're like really offensively racist and Trumpist and anti-Black Lives Matter. So like it's it's a bunch of like stupid memes and it's stuff like give a Democrat a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a Democrat to fish and he'll steal your rod, take your wallet, sexually assault the fish and then blame President Trump. And like a, a video of an Asian store owner who was like about to murder a quote unquote looter in their store. Um, a meme of President Trump shaking hands with a doctor that says only make the vaccine in suppository form. I want the Democrats to shove it up their asses. So it's anti-vax. It's fake news. Like there are stories from the blaze, which fuck off with that. Anti-Obama, um, pro police, like just crazy fucking shit. Like this one, I'm sick of people saying cops need more training. You had 18 years to teach your kid it's wrong to loot, steal, set buildings ablaze, block traffic, laser people's eyes, overturn cars, destroy buildings, and attack citizens. Who failed who? Like, as if people wanting to train police has anything to do with, like, protests? No, it has to do with the fact that we're protesting because... The cops killed somebody when they shouldn't have. We're not protesting the way they're reacting to a protest. We're protesting the fact that they routinely kill people during, like, traffic stops. So, like, fuck off with that idiocy. And it's just, like, it's shit after shit like this. Like, can't make a vaccine that works for the flu. Can't cure cancer. But they can make a vaccine in six months for an illness they still don't understand. How's that Kool-Aid taste? Like, disgusting shit, a lot of anti-Black stuff, a lot of anti-Black Lives Matter stuff. If you follow the officer's orders, you won't get shot. Like, gross shit. And, like, it's not surprising. Like, the, the Republican stuff is not the surprising part because I fully understand that the people on The Real Housewives are most likely going to be Republicans. Unless you are on Potomac or Atlanta, and even some of those, Nene, no. Um, she's one of the ones that was on Celebrity Apprentice and kind of was like, but Donald Trump isn't that bad. Regardless, that unless you are on one of those shows where it is a majority black cast, I understand that you are probably going to be leaning toward Republican. Like that's why the uh, a couple seasons ago on the New York reunion, um, when Andy, someone asked who voted for Trump or who supported Trump or something, and almost and they all were like, that's private. I don't want to answer that, which to me means you voted for Trump. And that was like Ramona and Luann. Um, and some others, you know, there's obviously like Bethany and Carol were like, fuck that. I think, I think it was both of them. Maybe it was just Carol. I forget. But like, if you are not actively saying Black Lives Matter, if you're not actively saying Biden 2020, if you are not in support of 
the right to vote, the John Lewis Freedom to Vote Act, which just got fucking struck down this week. Like, if you're not actively promoting these um, these social justice, uh, not organizations, these, like, social justice movements, I am sure that they are probably Republicans. So... I'm not shocked so much by the Republicanism of Jenny's Facebook statuses. It's the like violence of a lot of them. It's the ignorance of a lot of them. It's the, like I just said with the celebrity apprentice shit, it's the brainwashing of a lot of it. Like it's the false equivalence. It's like, it's the lack of thought that went into these memes and just the fact that she's clicking share on it and promoting it. And then has the nerve to go on Housewives of Salt Lake City and complain about Mary Cosby talking about her slanty eyes, which that is racist. I'm not discounting Mary's racism. Mary Cosby is also racist. And this is a more complicated conversation we need to be having is that like there is more than one kind of racism. Like black people can also be racist. And I don't mean that they're racist against white people. I mean that a black person can be racist against someone who is Hispanic or Asian or whatever, or Aboriginal, or Native, or anything, you just because you are of a minority race does not mean that you cannot also be racist. That's just not how it works. Um, and we see that firsthand a lot, but somehow it doesn't compute for some people. Like, I saw a lot of Twitter um, say, like, basically excusing Mary for saying that Mexicans are thugs and drug dealers and talking about Jen's quote, slanty eyes and basically being like, well, that doesn't matter because Jenny said these racist things about black people. And like, that's not how it works. Like Jenny is a minority and was being racist. Mary is also a minority and was being racist. Those things are not mutually exclusive. They can coexist. And one is not worse than the other. I'm here to tell you that if you are excusing one kind of racism, you need to look in the mirror because you have a blind spot for that kind of racism. Um, like I saw one tweet that was like, Jenny now joins the ranks of Ramona and Kelly Dodd in racist housewives, but didn't list Mary Cosby in that. And it's like, if you are not also putting Mary on this list because she was racist towards Mexicans and people of Asian descent, then you have a blind spot for what racism actually is. You think racism is just anti-Blackness. And that is probably the most prevalent kind of racism in our country, the most obvious kind of racism, the one that we're fighting most against visibly. But it is not the only kind of racism. Um, so yeah, big old mess. There were some rumors that Jenny had been fired and some other rumors that she hadn't. They are, like I said, they're already filming season three, so they could make some adjustments. I don't think that they will this late. Um, although like we're seeing on Orange County right now, there's a housewife who just stopped filming in the middle of the season and they didn't even fucking address it. So who knows? Um, but yeah, garbage people being garbage is, um, is the theme this week and every week. And that's why my recommendations for the most part have been so nostalgic because like the world is on fire and I don't have um, a big enough bucket of water to put it out. So I am just going to, uh, to put on some aloe as the world burns and uh, wait for it to just consume me and turn me into beef jerky.
It's a great way to look at things, isn't it? <laughs> All right, stay tuned for the recaps. I want to talk a little bit about this season of Below Deck. Um, I am not personally much of a fan of this season. I think it's pretty boring and slow and, you know, the personalities aren't great. There's, there are a couple that I really enjoy, but they're like carrying the whole show. So it's not as interesting, like Fraser, the second stew. Um, I enjoy him. I think he's fun, but, uh, he's the only one who seems to understand that he's on a reality TV series Eddie, I've always liked. He is supposedly first officer this season. I might have talked with this in the podcast already. I forget if I did the premiere episode or not. But regardless, um, he's first officer, which doesn't seem to be any different than Bosun. So I don't really understand that distinction. Um, Captain Lee is not around a whole lot. The guests have been like nightmarish, but not wretched. There's just not a lot going on. Like they seem to be pinning a lot of what they are looking at as tension or drama on um, Jake, who is the lead deckhand thinking that he like is this sexually free spirit that he's going to want to fuck everyone. And like, that's the case, but that, I don't know. It just seems petty or silly. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not into this cast altogether. Maybe I'm just, I need a break from below deck. I don't know. I don't like this season. But the reason I don't like this season, it does not seem to be the reasons that um, Twitter and Instagram and the internet does not like this season, which seems to be resting squarely on people disliking Reyna. And Reyna is one of the deckhands. She is a black woman alongside Wes, who is the other deckhand, who is a black man. Um, and there's been a lot of tension this season, and I don't know, this is a mistake to me, the way they framed this season, where this happened weeks ago, right? Like, I want to say five or six episodes ago, where Raina and Heather, who's the chief stew, um, the whole boat is out for the night at a bar, like, between charters, and they're drunk, and... Raina says the N-word, like, I guess they're rapping or something, and Raina says the N-word, and then Heather, who is white, repeats it out loud, the full word. She doesn't say the N-word, she says the word in front of Raina on camera mic'd. She later denies doing this. She doesn't remember. She doesn't She doesn't use that language, whatever. She doesn't, but it's on camera. We fucking heard it. We saw it. Raina takes it a certain kind of way and is not really letting go of it, nor should she. Now, this does not annoy me. It does not annoy me. I am not turned off by Raina being a dog with this particular bone. Um... And let me tell you fucking why. So like, let's say if anyone listens to this podcast, I doubt you're out there, but if you happen to find this through a hashtag or some shit and you're listening and you believe that it is okay or it is admissible or it's not that big of a deal, whatever your argument is, that Heather said the N-word because she was repeating lyrics or whatever the case was. So she wasn't calling someone that word. So it's not that big of a deal. Raina needs to let it go. If you are of that feeling, one, fuck you, you're garbage. Sorry about it. That's how this works. 
Two, let me explain to you why Reyna will not let this go and is holding on to it. Now, I am not Black. I cannot speak from that experience. But the experience I can speak from is being confronted with homophobic language, which I have dealt with my entire life. I'm sure, like Reyna has dealt with racism her entire life. Likely not on the same level, because she is not only Black, she is also a woman. So she is doubly discriminated against. Um, but I have been confronted with and called many times in my life the F word. And now, right off the bat, I do not associate with people who call other people that word um, who are not part of the community. The F word has been reclaimed in many of the same ways that the N word was reclaimed by the black community. Um, the F word has been reclaimed by many within the gay and LGBT. No, I'm not going to say LGBTQ. Not within the within the gay community. Within the gay community, the queer community. Um, like you know, I listen to if you listen to Race Chaser with Alaska and Willem from RuPaul's Drag Race. Willem routinely uses the word. I have used the word a few times in jest when I am talking about other gay people who I know and who I know would not be offended if I called them this word to their faces. Um, but I don't go around practicing the word because I've heard it my I've heard it my entire life and I have been called that word. And I do not like people who use that word. And if I were working closely with someone who is supposed to be my friend, who is just casually throwing around the F word, I would never be comfortable around that person because I know they are at ease saying that word. If you're saying it while you're drunk in front of me, that means you're probably saying it sober behind the back. Same thing with Heather here. If she is that comfortable when she is drunk saying the N-word in front of a Black person, she's probably real fucking comfortable saying that word behind everyone's back in private, however you want to think of it. This is not a word that she has said one time and it's never happened before and will never happen again. This has happened before. Because let me tell you, I can't even say the N-word. Like, I, ha I, I choke on that word. I used to teach a unit to my freshmen when I first started teaching. There was an assigned unit. This wasn't even my choice. It was like on the syllabus sample that I was given where we were debating. My students had to write a paper. They had to choose a side. Should Mark to, or should Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain be taught in schools? If so, should it be censored? Because there was a, a new version of Huck Finn that came out maybe 20 years ago at this point where they replaced every usage of the N-word with the word slave. And to help make my point, I used to read verbatim out loud to my students from Mark Twain. And it was always a passage that like had multiple uses of the N-word. And I used to choke on it. Even when I was quoting something and even when I knew the purpose behind it was not harmful, was historical, and in the context of Huck Finn, was Huck Finn's an abolitionist novel. <laughs> okay, so anyway, I used to choke on it even then. I do not say that word. It would never come out of my mouth. 
So the fact that it just slipped out of Heather's while she's singing or rapping or repeating or whatever is not an excuse. It's just not. Because I know the people who I know, who I am friends with, who listen to this podcast, I know y'all, you are in the same boat as me. In no world would that word even like would that would that word not get caught in your throat if you were even attempting to say it for whatever purpose it would never just come out that's how we were conditioned with that word so if that word is slipping out of heather's mouth i get why reina won't let it go because to her that means this is a person who is casual with their racism who is way too casual with harmful language to be trustworthy and to want to be around. And in a professional setting where one, it's fucking COVID, two, you're trapped in a confined space on a boat, and three, you have fucking cameras in your face 24 hours a day because they do also have cameras that are stationary and running all the time in their cabins. This is a perfect storm for being overly emotional and overly sensitive and also for creating a workplace environment that will feel hostile because it is an oppressive environment. Put yourself in Heather's shoe or in Raina's shoes for whatever word you find most offensive that someone could call you. If you are a gay person, maybe it's the F word. If you're a lesbian, maybe it's the L word. The L word. <laughs> that's the actual, um, <laughs> that's the TV show. Maybe it's the D word is what I meant to say. If you are a trans person, maybe it's the T slur. If you are Hispanic, maybe it's the S word. Whatever. If you are a woman, maybe it's the C word. Whatever that word is that you can't, that like jars you just hearing it. Put yourself in Raina's shoes. Because honest to God, we're at a point where they can say shit on below deck now, but they still bleeped out the N-word. So let's just throw that out there now. It's a problem. So everyone online who's like, I hate Raina. All she does is complain. She needs to let it go. Heather was just quoting lyrics. Like, because this week, on this, this week's episode, Captain Lee finally found out that this word was used by Heather in Raina's presence. And so many people that I saw on the internet, so many tweets were like, but there's no context to this. They're not saying that she that it was song lyrics she was repeating or that she was repeating what Raina just said. Their context is important. No, the fuck it's not. Stop victimizing white Women. And this isn't helped by the fact that earlier in the season, Heather made herself the victim by saying she grew up in Hawaii and was bullied because she was white, because everyone else was Native Hawaiian and she was white. Boo-hoo, you blonde white bitch. You are on TV now. I'm sorry, but being white does not grant you victimhood. We are perpetuating a stereotype that Raina is an angry black woman because she refuses to trust, speak to, whatever, a white woman who used racist language. And that's 
fucked up. It's fucked up that so many people, including black folks, at least the way they present on Twitter, who the fuck knows if they're real accounts or not, I don't, are fed up with Raina not letting this go or Raina complaining all the time or letting this get in the way of her job. Not only is she working with someone who used that language, she, in this episode, confronted Eddie, who is her superior, and said, when she went to him and said this was bothering her, he told her that it's not that big of a deal. Now, he tried to defend himself, and I do understand where the miscommunication was with Eddie and Raina, that he did not mean you shouldn't be bothered by Heather using the word. What he meant is you shouldn't be bothered enough that it's interrupting your work. And if it is, it needs to be addressed. Like, you can't just hang on to it, I think is what he was trying to say. Like, you can't just shoulder that burden without talking about it, without telling the captain, or without talking to Heather, or confronting, whatever it is. I believe that's what he was trying to get at. Still not a great response. If a black employee comes to, like, if I am so, if I am in Eddie's position and a black employee comes to me and says, this person says the N-word, you are, I am going to the captain. I'm going to the captain. I'm telling him what happened because it's unacceptable and needs to be dealt with. And in the current climate we're in, I'm sorry, Heather should not still be working in this position. Now, I know that it's a whole different can of worms because they're, they, they, uh, it's a, it's in the middle of the season. It's they're in the Caribbean. It's not like they can just like call a friend and get them up. Like, look how much trouble they had finding a new third stew right away. They may have someone in quarantine waiting to join the cast, but like we learned during below deck med or sailing out, whatever the fuck it was, they don't always have the experience necessary. Like what was her name? Delaney said that she was a stew, but she was actually a deckhand. So when they came on to have her be a stew, she was like, oh, I actually don't really know what I'm doing. Like they had me in quarantine for both, but I'm not really a stew. So who knows? Like, I'm sure it's difficult to find a good chief stew for that type of yacht, for a TV show, et cetera, et cetera. But like in, I'm sorry, the real world, in my setting, whatever, in my profession, if someone comes in, you're gone. Heather is gone. This is a conversation, it's a teaching moment, but it also is a moment where you need to understand that that is unacceptable. And that people don't understand this is mind boggling to me. Like, did the past couple of years fucking happen? Did I, did we all like fall into a wormhole and the past two years are just being ignored? Between like the, the reaction to this after the Black Lives Matter movement gaining prominence and George Floyd in 2020, like, did that never happen? Between that and like people acting like the pandemic is just over when Omicron is rampant across the country, but everyone's like, oh, well, I'm sick of it. I'm not wearing my mask anymore. Oh, I'm sick of it. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do whatever I like. What the fuck is wrong with us as a population that we are this way? Where did compassion go in the past two years? The way that we applauded first responders in April of 2020, can we go back to that? And can we stop being garbage people, please? Like, I, it's not... Maybe part of my lack of enjoyment of this season of Below Deck isn't even because it's not a great season. Maybe it's because I am, like, being force-fed because it's on my fucking Discover page or whatever it is on Twitter that I'm just being force-fed these fucking awful tweets by garbage people 
who are like, Raina needs to get over it. Raina complains too much. I hope Raina's gone next year. All because she cannot wrap her head around the fact that someone who proclaims to be her friend used the N-word and no one on this boat is on her team. And clearly most of the people on social media aren't on our team either. That is, I cannot imagine all the levels of fucked up that Raina must be feeling. I can't. It is absolutely mind-boggling to me. And the fact that so many people are, are coming to Heather's defense is absolutely disgusting and insane. And I, it's, I, I can't deal with it. It's so fucking strange. What Twilight Zone hell is this? Y'all need to look in the mirror. If you are someone who's like, Raina's complaining too much. Raina needs to get over it. You need to look in the mirror and really self-evaluate. Holy shit. What is it like to live in your head? I am so glad I am not you. Because I can't imagine walking through the world with the kind of attitude that you apparently have. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Below Deck airs Mondays at nine at eight o'clock now on Bravo. If you would like to take the deep dive into this season and get pissed off with me. I'm going to try to make this one a little bit quicker since I just realized how long-winded I have been this episode so far. Um, but I finished season two of cheer on netflix this weekend and now i don't know how many of you watch cheer i'm assuming everyone has watched cheer because it was enormous when it came out two years ago pre-pandemic it was big and then the pandemic hit and it was i feel like everyone watched it um and i i'm obviously one of the ones who loved season one i mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago that I had no idea they were even doing a season two. And I was concerned at the time that I heard about a season two because I don't really know how they could do it and make it the same kind of show. And the answer is they they wouldn't. <laughs> and they couldn't and they didn't. So Cheer Season 2 feels like a completely kind of different animal than Cheer Season 1. So in Season 2, we're not just following Navarro as they're competing for nationals over the course of two years because, you know, pandemic happened in the middle of it. Um, it looks like they had started filming right around when Season 1 came out. So around February 2020 is when they started filming. And, you know, the series was immediately huge. And one of the great things they did deal with in filming this season is the effect of fame on the cast and how that changed people. And, you know, especially when it came to egos, which this is cheerleading. Egos are a huge part of it already. Um, I was a cheerleader in high school on our varsity team. I got two varsity letters. Thank you very much. <laughs> and our squad, my junior year was supposed to do competitive cheerleading, which is what they call, or similar to what they call all-star cheerleading on the show. 
which is like very showy and um we never actually ended up competing but still i i kind of understand this world and ego is a huge part of it it competition within the group is a huge part of it um cattiness is a huge part of it but like support is the biggest part of it so um like if you're not supporting your teammates you're you could literally kill someone so uh on this season of cheer to see the egos take over and become the most important thing on the squad and not the support was interesting to me personally like we see people like lexi for example and um we see her like in her dorm and whereas normally she would she or in season one she was you know studying or reading or listening to music or watching tv she's recording cameos um we, same thing we see jerry pre-arrest um getting a pedicure and recording cameos in the middle of a nail salon and like just the idea of that is so bizarre um, that these kids are in college and they're, you know, t taking classes and cheering and filming a TV show and also, like, in every spare moment of their days, making $50 for 60 seconds of their time. It's so weird. And then also seeing that, I'd be like, well, I would be kind of annoyed if I got <laughs> a cameo from Jerry and he's, like, recording it in a fucking nail salon. I'd be like... You couldn't even like carve out some time for this. You did it like while you were doing something else. What the fuck? <laughs> um, well, speaking of Jerry, that's also a huge part of this season. And why I was so leery of watching it is because Jerry was um, arrested in summer of 2020 for child pornography charges and is an admitted at this. Like he hasn't been to trial yet, but he did admit to the FBI that he um, had sex with underage boys, uh, when he was in his late teens and that he solicited nude photos from underage boys. And then I hadn't heard this until the show and episode five deals with his arrest and the story becoming public, um, that he, when the F, when he found out that he was under investigation or being charged or whatever, he ditched his phone and got a new one and immediately started doing the same thing of soliciting nude photos from minors. So like that was really disturbing. A lot of the season, it was just, it obviously didn't feel like cheer season one and that's okay, but it also just didn't feel like an entertaining show. If that makes sense, like season one, I feel like the way it was constructed was brilliant. The way it was edited was brilliant. And like the tension just ratcheted up throughout the season. It was, I think, six episodes, five episodes, something like that. And from the beginning to the end, it was like every moment we were kind of building suspense toward Daytona. And it was this like mythical thing. Uh, season two doesn't have that. Because one is because we already know kind of what we're building toward. Like when we see Jerry and Ladarius in in practice and stuff, we know that at some point shit goes down. We know what happens with Jerry. We know that he's not on the squad anymore. We know Ladarius had a very public meltdown and separation from Navarro. So we know that like 
their stories are building up to an inevitable an inevitable end that kind of makes Daytona take a back seat in a way. And then also seeing like the timeline of things, we know that if by episode five, we're still in like May, I think of 2020, we know we have like a full fucking year before Daytona even happens. So it like, it loses a lot of that tension. But like I said, dealing with the the fame of things and seeing how it affected these kids and like, especially like when we see the ego of, Dar- of Darius coming out and the end of Monica, like I forgot she was on Dancing with the Stars and that's what a lot of the separation with Ladarius, where that came from, was that she was in LA filming Dancing with the Stars while they were supposed to be preparing. And Ladarius felt abandoned by her and he has abandonment issues because of his own family and i i completely understand his point of view i think he overreacted obviously and so does he as he kind of explains later in the season um but the fact that his own fame was a contributing factor to his decision to publicly accuse monica of physical and mental abuse and leading to his quitting cheerleading and leaving school. I don't think that would have happened without the ego and the fame that came with cheer season one, one, because Monica would have been there. She wouldn't have been on dancing with the stars and two, it wouldn't have empowered him um, wrongly or not to behave in the way that he did. So I found that interesting, but then also this season is structured very differently in that we're not just following Navarro. We're following their rivals, uh, Trinity Valley. And it was an opportunity to create this really interesting structure where we know we're supposed, like, or not we know, but we are kind of instilled or inclined to root for Navarro because we followed them in season one, because we fell in love with them in season one, but then they became kind of assholes in season two. Like, as I was saying with the egos and all that. Um, So we're supposed to be rooting for Navarro and then kind of seeing the underdog in Trinity Valley. And they were building up this narrative all season of like Navarro has 14 titles and Trinity has a few and they're all, it's always first and second with them and they have a new coach and a new squad and they're more determined than ever after the success of cheer season one to prove that they can compete with Navarro and all this stuff. And we're supposed to be kind of root, not supposed to be, but we are also being set up in a way to want to root for Trinity Valley. But then they keep undermining themselves at every turn because the people at Trinity Valley are just awful. I know this is not the most popular opinion on social media, but I, as much as I didn't like the people on Navarro this season, I fucking hated the Trinity Valley, the entirety of Trinity Valley. Like they were so obnoxious their group cheer, their group chant or cheer, like their their hype cheer with so Navarro's is we we can, we will, we must, I think is what it is. And then Trinity Valley's is like, um we're gonna show them what we're made of, and if the judges don't agree, fuck them, here's to we. Like, what what? 
right before you go on to Matt, you're saying fuck the judges, or at one point they change it to fuck Navarro, fuck them, here's to we. Like, that's bitterness. And like, I know that competition is a big part of this, obviously, but that to me is like unsportsmanlike in a way. And that's one of the things about cheerleading that I remember very well from high school is that as much as we all wanted to compete and as cutthroat it, as it was, and we saw that during cheer season one, and of course now season two, as cutthroat as cheer is, you cut the other teams down by like supporting your own team to the nth degree. You see that in the Daytona scenes with the, the alternates on the sidelines, fucking screaming their faces off and cheering and yelling. That is how you support. That is how you cut down the other team is by being the loudest and most vocal support you possibly can for your own team. So to see Trinity Valley TVCC being like, fuck them. And like, that was gross. And then there was such an air of homophobia at Trinity Valley. And this wasn't just like a passing thing. This kept getting brought up episode after episode. Like we meet their coach, Avante, and he brings it up that he didn't see himself cheerleading because it was gay in so many words. And he could have gone to Navarro, but he went to Trinity Valley because Navarro is gayer than Trinity Valley. We see that with D, their Tumblr, when he's like, you know, masculine men just don't perform. That he, that the dudes are dudes at Trinity Valley. They don't perform like the guys at Navarro, meaning that like, because the guys at Navarro do the dancing and the, like the facial expressions, they're called facials. Um, I don't know if they ever go, whatever. Because they do facials and dance moves and stuff that they're gay, that they're feminine. And it's like, this is an ongoing discussion throughout the season with the Trinity Valley boys that like they view the performance aspect of cheerleading as very feminine and therefore beneath them because it's gay and they don't want to appear gay. And they themselves say this, that it's like not masculine, that they went to Trinity Valley because it's masculine and they don't want to smile because it's too masculine. Like literally D at one point says, I don't smile. And like, to me, it's like you, the toxic masculinity that you were raised in and are still participating in is so outrageous that you equate smiling with femininity. That is fucking wild. And it was just this like, there was this constant thread of homophobia throughout that like every time they like the choreographer or one of the tumble, I forget who someone was like, pick a moment to be gay in this dance. Like, why are you framing it that way? You are asking him to literally smile and you're making that seem like it's gay. Like this is why homophobia still exists. And to such an extent in black communities is because we're taught that things like smiling are gay. Smiling. Because you're on a cheerleading squad and telling yourself that as long as you're just tumbling, it's masculine. As long as you're not smiling, you're still manly. That was, it was fucking wild. So like that coupled with this, like this 
attitude and this like unsportsmanlike behavior. I just, I found myself not being able to root for anyone in this season of cheer. So when it got to Daytona and they're both competing and they set up this rivalry and this underdog story with TVCC who ended up winning spoiler alert, as if you can just Google it. Um, and then, but then also winning in a way that like didn't actually make all that much sense. Like when you see the deductions and hear the numbers and see like how well Navarro did on day one. And then like the only thing they did differently was they got like a quarter of a point deduction in the final, yet they still lost. Just it was strange. Um, and I know that cheerleading is subjective, obviously it's subjective sport, but it was just very strange. And then so anticlimactic, which even the filmmakers seem to know, like this season, as much as they built up this rivalry and all this, like it clearly was not about who won because the winner was announced in like the first 15 minutes of the finale. And then the rest of it was just about the people. And that's what cheer has always been about. And season one was about was more like the personalities and that kind of thing. And the people obviously in the relationships. Um, but then they would just like drop characters like Ladarius obviously left the squad half through the season, but then came back to support in the finale and have a heart to heart with Monica, which was great from a storytelling perspective, but not so much from um, a structure perspective, I, I think is what I want to say. And then like randomly, like the assistant coach, Anthony, I think his name was just at some point disappeared midway through the season and just never was addressed. It was just a very strange season, I feel like, and I did not enjoy it nearly as much as season one. And I hope there's no season three, or if there is that it just follows completely different um, gyms or squads. Because I don't really know what they have left, what story there is left to tell with Navarro and like Monica in particular, or wait until like nobody that we have followed is left at Navarro. Or maybe next season we follow Trinity exclusively and they address these issues within their organization of toxic masculinity and homophobic behavior. That would be interesting to me too. But it was just a strange season and I didn't love it. So yeah, but the whole season is streaming now on Netflix. Let me know what you thought. Coming up this week on Monday, we have the series premiere of March, which is a new reality series on the CW that follows a marching band at um, an historically black college. Then HBO is finally premiering the much delayed, much anticipated new series from Julian Fellows, who did Downton Abbey, and that's called The Gilded Age. Snowpiercer returns for season three, American Dad returns for season 17, and ABC premieres its new soap drama Promised Land at 10 o'clock. On Wednesday, we get season two of Resident Alien, followed by the series premiere of Astrid and Lily Save the World on Sci-Fi. On Thursday, HBO Max premieres its new docuseries Takeout with Lisa Ling, which follows um, Asian cuisine restaurants in America, and then we're also getting the season premiere of Grownish on Freeform. On Friday, Amazon is releasing the animated series The Legend of Vox Machina, 
or Machina. Don't know how to pronounce it. Looks like anime. Don't know if I care. Um, Netflix is dropping Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness, which is um, a docu-series based on his podcast. Um, That seems interesting. I'm going to keep an eye out on that one. And then they're also premiering the entire series of the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, which stars Kristen Bell and Michael Ealy and sounds obviously like a parody of, you know, books and movies like The Woman in the Window, The Girl on the Train. Riley Sager has a book coming out this coming summer called um, The House Across the Lake. So it's it looks very much like a parody of that kind of um, domestic thriller mystery type book, which then is are typically turned into movies and TV shows, you know, Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, etc. Um, but it also looks like a legit mystery. I'm very curious about it. Um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that one. Like, the vibe of the trailer is very much like that Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig Lifetime movie they did, I want to say, like, maybe 10 years ago, A Deadly Adoption, where... Like, it was very clearly written as a parody, but they played it completely straight. So maybe it's like that. I don't know. That's all on Friday on Netflix. And then also on Friday and Saturday, Lifetime and A&E are premiering the Janet Jackson documentary, which is just called Janet Jackson. I'm looking forward to that as well. And then on Sunday, Showtime premieres, we need to talk about Cosby. For finales, um, Ordinary Joe airs its final episode on NBC, and Our Kind of People airs its final episode on Fox. Neither of them have been officially canceled, but they also received no additional episodes, and their ratings aren't very good, so those could are likely series finales. Vanderpump Rules airs its two-part reunion on Tuesday and Wednesday. This season was a shit show. Can't wait for it to be over. Um, on Peacock, we have the final episode of Paris and Love, the season finale of Nancy Drew on The CW, and then on Sunday, ABC's game shows have their finale, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune and Supermarket Sweep. In honor of Louis Anderson's passing this week, my recommendation is Life with Louis, which was his animated series that ran in the 90s on Fox Kids. Fox Kids was banging. Like... I don't know if I realized at the time or even now how how much of that was such good TV. Uh, you know, it was Life with Louie, obviously. It was Bobby's World. I mean, who didn't watch Bobby's World if you're a millennial? Um, Power Rangers, Casper, which came out after the movie, but it was an animated version. It was just, it was great. It was great. I watched uh, uh, X-Men, the one that they're rebooting on Disney Plus sometime in the next year or two. It was just great TV. I loved it. And I, I don't think I really realized until I went to look for Life with Louie this week after Louie Anderson died, just how much of that programming I actually watched and how often. But Life with Louie was one of the centerpieces for, I think, three seasons of Fox Kids. It was on Saturday mornings, and it was very much in line with the kind of typical 90s family sitcom and those that came after that that kind of emulated it so it's it's very much like the middle which i loved on abc it's got some malcolm in the middle vibes because again this you know it's it's the midwest it's family so anything that has the middle in the title probably very similar to life with louis um but it also was kind of like full house in a way where it was like you know a lesson learned and it was funny and 
sweet and endearing, but also kind of sad, which I, that's where I get the middle vibes because it's, it, there's always like this kind of undertone of sadness or melancholy to the, to kind of the whole thing. Um, but it was always very entertaining. I loved it as a kid. And the whole series, pretty much, you can find on YouTube if you just type in Life with Louis. I even found a playlist on YouTube that is just called Life with Louis Full Episodes. Um, no surprise, the one that I remember best <laughs> from my childhood is the Christmas episode. I forget the title, and I think it might even be the pilot. Um, but that is on YouTube. You can go find it. It's, it's a really sweet kind of coming of age show about Louie and his blue collar, working class, middle class family. I, I think they're in Wisconsin in the animated show, although Louie is not, Louie Anderson was not from Wisconsin, but it's a very autobiographical, obviously, if you look at the animation, it is very much Louie Anderson only in a tiny little body. Um, and it's just, it's a really sweet, cute, wholesome kind of show. Um, and Again, as I always talk about, I, I operate on nostalgia <laughs> and this is very nostalgic. And if you even if you never watched it in the 90s, I feel like it's still nostalgic in that it's the kind of show that just doesn't exist anymore. And you're like, I just compared it to the middle and the middle had its series finale almost five years ago, I think at this point. Uh, it's It's that very kind of it's, it's the show that is centered on the everyday family, the everyday kid. But like, and no, I mean the everyday kid very explicitly because like Louis Anderson, the main character in this is an overweight little boy who's a mama's boy. And don't know how many of you can relate to that. I sure can. <laughs> and we don't really see a lot of shows that focus on kind of the, the everyman character like a Louie, you know, like the middle was very much like that, where it had a bunch of kids who were weird, but they were standard weird, you know, like Brick has his whole whispering thing and Axel um, has his dyslexia or whatever it is and Sue with her headgear and the fact that she's not good at anything, <laughs> um, like any sports or anything she tries out for, like that's very relatable. And that's kind of how life with Louie was, that it was, it didn't follow, you know, a kid who was good at sports. It didn't follow a kid with superpowers. It didn't follow a kid who was friends with a ghost. Uh, it didn't follow a kid who had his own fantasy world. It just followed a kid as he went about his everyday life in the everyday world. And that is, that's so relatable. So even if you never watched this, um, if you grew up or at all lived through the nineties, it still has that nostalgia factor of like life was simpler and kinder in a lot of ways and yeah you can watch again almost all of life with louie for free on youtube if you just do a little search all right so that does it for this week's episode i will be back next week with more news more recaps more analyses and more recommendations have a good week everyone